Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac, and today we have a very special guest. We have Mackenzie DeArmas from the D&D team, and she is here to talk to us about haunted traps. Hopefully, this will give you more than enough time to set those up for your players, Halloween, or any other time you need them. But this intro is short and sweet, so let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. <laughs> So today for the meet, we have a very special guest, someone that I'm very excited has joined us and we've already laughed a whole bunch before even hitting record. And that is none other than Mackenzie DeArmas. And she is an associate game designer for D&D. She served as the lead writer for the Isles of Sina Una, and she contributed to work with MCDM on Kingdoms and Warfare, as well as the Arcadia magazine and some stuff on D&D Beyond. We could probably add a lot more ands, but Mackenzie, thank you for coming and spending some time with us. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Ah, this is gonna be so much fun. We literally were giggling so much before we started. <laughs> <laughs> you can always tell when it's gonna be a fantastic time. Mackenzie, for any of our listeners uh, who aren't familiar with you, uh, our first question is always, can you tell us a little bit about yourself that can uh, pertain to the job that you do at Wizards of the Coast or just you as a person? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, all right. Hi. Yeah, um, I'm Mackenzie Diarmas, Mackenzie Lane Day on Twitter. I am an associate game designer for Dungeons and Dragons at Wizards of the Coast proper, uh, which basically means I do a lot of the monsters. I do. I work on some of the subclasses. I have to take into account all the dice you roll for certain things uh when monsters you know use things like breath weapons or other big effects that make the dm roll a bunch of dice and make players go what do you mean that many d10s that's all my responsibility uh which is very fun <laughs> all you had to say is i work a lot on the monsters and i became very very jealous jealous of you <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. Uh, there's, oh gosh, I, I can't, there's so many monsters that I've worked on that will come out in the future. And I cannot wait to share them with people and more specifically share them with DMs who will get to well, be like, ah, yes. yes, I can use this. We're going to have to have you back on to talk about some of those monsters because we have, we have some episodes that are focused on talking about specific monsters so we'd love to like have you just geek out over monsters you've created oh my gosh i oh oh i love monsters so much um <laughs> what else i totally went on a tangent just talking about monsters that's my fault that's my <laughs> fault <laughs> uh yeah so before i started work at wizards uh around january 2021 um so pretty recent as of recording this uh before that i was a full-time independent ttrpg creator i was the lead writer for the islands of Sina Una. Uh, like was mentioned, which is a full supplement based, full D&D supplement based around pre-colonial Filipino culture and mythology. Uh, I myself am Filipino, although I am diaspora. I was born in America and I've been in America my entire life. So that was a super awesome and interesting and enriching experience to exp experience um, or to study and research and develop a setting that dives so deep into that culture that I wasn't I hadn't been a part of for so long uh, and putting it in a way that allows me to share it with people uh, and allows them to engage with it and create their own stories, which is quite frankly, the crux of why I love working on D&D &D and TTRPGs and fantasy in general. 
Um, I also did work for Kingdoms of Warfare. I did stuff for Arcadia Magazine. Uh, my article is all about monsters. I built a bunch of elementals based around the periodic table, which is oh, I'm so, so happy about and I love them so much. They are my babies. And uh, yeah, I was a guest author on D&D Beyond for the Encounters in Wildmount back in January 2020 uh, to March 2020, promoting Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which was so cool as someone who got into D&D through Critical Role. It was awesome. wild being like, I get to put a little bit of my uh, fingerprint on this world that helped me get here, which is, ah, it's been a very wild couple of years, but I love every step of the journey. <laughs> That's so good. So... Our, fo- our follow-up question, and we, we've kind of hit on it some, but are there other things that you've worked on that you can talk about? Of course, we always put that disclaimer um, that you think our listeners would be interested in. I mean, there's a couple of things where it's like, I, I have a couple of things on DMs Guild. I won an any last year for a... Um, I won an any last year for this supplement on DMs Guild called Canaro's Candy Compendium, which everyone pronounces wrong, even though the pronunciation guide is in the inside cover of the, of the supplement. How do um, people pronounce it? They Because it's spelled K-N-A-R-L, everyone pronounces it just Gnarl, but ah. it's supposed to be Canaro's Candy Compendium for the alliteration. Uh, it's a magical compendium of candies uh, narrated by a little goblin child named Canaro. Um, and it's super fun. I made it for Halloween, October 2019. And yeah, it won a judge's choice for the Ennies in 2020, which I was surprised about because it was my first time submitting to the Ennies. And I was like, ah, this is ridiculous. All these <laughs> other Ennie winners are serious, like monster supplements and like, ah, oh, it's Midgard. And, you know, ah, oh, look at this massive, important, <laughs> imposing dragon. I'm like, hey. You want some candies? Here, I have a goblin kid and some candies. Slide that across the table. Yes. Well, that I just gotta say, I think I think that's like the perfect segue into the surprise question that I have for you. I think I have come up with the greatest surprise question tailored to you, Mackenzie, without even knowing it. So here's the surprise question: If you could spend one entire week as any small or tiny D&D creature, what would you choose to be and why? Oh, no. Oh, but there's so many. I mean, I'm I'm on the border of the small category, uh, <laughs> which is which is funny. But I mean, goblins are pretty good. Uh, I also I quite like kobolds. Mm. I really quite like kobolds. I love the idea of these tiny creatures who were descended from dragons or have dragon's blood in them and still have some of that like draconic defiance and that sort of I'm strong and powerful sort of attitude but they're also like three feet tall and they carry around like a bunch of trinkets or like the ones that have draconic like sorcery abilities where it's just I'm tiny but I will breathe a fireball at you and you cannot stop me and oh that's that's so much fun I'm also a big fan of uh, the methods the small elementals that are like the dust methods and the ice methods and the ones that are essentially the combination of two of the four classical elementals. Um, I find I wouldn't want to spend a week as them just because they, they don't do much, but I find <laughs> them so fascinating in that, like where they're, they're the intersection of these, because the 
the classical elementals in fantasy, uh, air, fire, earth, water, they're so ubiquitous. Mm. And I love looking at the methods as this weird intersection between some of these elements. And I find that so interesting as a designer and a narrative writer. Um, they, yeah, they don't do much and they aren't sentient. So I don't think I'd want to spend a week as one of them, but they are one of my favorite small creatures. It's like the same way. It's like, man, I'd love to. I, do I love like small oozes? Yes. Do I want to spend a week as one? <laughs> I don't know. Probably I don't know not. about that one, but oh. mm, they're funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I should also mention because in my background, I have a gazer. I should. Yes. I, I feel like yes. if, uh, I would be remiss to mention the gazers because otherwise he will be angry at me. Perfect. All good choices. Yeah. Except for the yeah, I didn't know I didn't know, man, you learn something new every day. I didn't know Memphis were not sentient. I don't think well, I should double check that uh before I actually go on that tangent. <laughs> but I don't like I don't think any of the element like they're sapient in that they have con- like control, but they're not sentient. And there is some distinction between <laughs> that. And I'm literally going to go look this up very quickly before I make any more any more statements oh no they are they are sent me never mind i'll take that all out all right take it out take it out uh apparently some of them like ice methods yeah no they all actually are sentient whoops that's i've been playing methods wrong the entire time (laughs) (laughs) hey that doesn't mean that in your world they can't be uh (laughs) i i just thought they were tiny little like of magma or giving a spin on methods so Perfect. Oh, well, we, we've all learned something new today, but we are going to dive uh, terrifyingly into the subject at hand. And we're probably only going to say it a few times to save ourselves the trouble. But we wanted to talk about the horror toolkit. And one of the big things about talking about it now is that you can actually prepare whatever Halloween game you want now. Because oftentimes we release a Halloween episode, but that's too late then what are you gonna, you're just going to throw it together immediately, but now you can go back prepare. and listen to the other year's yes, Halloween exactly. episodes. <laughs> but now we can prepare. Alternatively, Nightmare Before Christmas. Ah. See, we've, we've got it figured out. And so today in the horror toolkit, we all started talking. And the one that stuck out, the aspect that stuck out most to us were the haunted traps. I am so, so excited. I was rereading the whole section last night just to prepare. um, And that was for sure the one piece that stuck out because of all of the ideas that started spinning around in my head. Um, So, Mackenzie, what can you give us a brief overview of haunted traps as you see it? Um, So haunted traps, I find, are these really awesome. I, environmental effects might be the best way to create it, uh, to, to frame it. They're these instances that happen in the world where something grave or tragic or something incredibly, there's an echo of the past here, this, inc- this echo of an incredibly emotive event that sort of clings to something in the environment. And if you interact with it, it is a trap in a sense that it does impact you as a character if you are not careful around it, but it does so in a way that is reflective and uh, almost narratively impactful as it tells a little bit about what occurred in this location. And I find that that idea of putting an echo in the world to tell your players a little bit about something that happened here uh, in such a unique way is just super exciting. One of the things that stands out most to me is almost having a third version of traps with the haunted traps in the idea that you have 
magical, mechanical, and then almost like haunted feels like it fits more into divine because the ways that you need to interact with it, the ways that you need to remove it, um, it's not the other two. It's it's this divine sense. It's removing curses. It, it's going down this other path. And I'm just like, that's awesome because because you all I mean, sometimes you have that that scenario where it's like, I'm the rogue. I'm the trap person. I'm always a trap person, um, which can be either good, bad, indifferent. Um, but the idea of having three versions of traps and being able to incorporate all of your players with traps is awesome. I love the idea of a trap that isn't set off by a tripwire um, or stepping onto that stone on the floor, but it's almost like you're crossing this threshold, this barrier. Um, I even like the idea of for DMs out there who love to actually make dungeon maps to give out to their players. Like, you know, you, you as a DM, like if you really want to get into it, you kind of like, will take the, the map and you'll make it look old and maybe you'll burn the edges and stuff. Maybe you burn out like a little spot of that map. So the players are really curious about where does that tunnel lead to, but it's burnt out for a reason. And if they step into that area, that's where this haunted trap is is sprung, is put into effect. Um, and they not only don't know what's in that area, but it is going to be a place where they are going to be facing some terrible things. Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing actually about haunted traps is they don't have to be super terrible or super like spooky or uh, incredibly like fright inducing. Because when I read Haunted Traps, my brain goes into two sections. It goes into the, this mirror steals your reflection, and that's terrifying. Or, it's the Haunted Mansion from Disneyland. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. And it's like, I think that's so cool, where it's like, you can, these are traps that are haunted, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they, you can scale them depending on how much terror and then how much, like, fun you want to engage with your players like the the one it's mentioned in uh, van richten's that the dance macabre one uh it reminds me so much of the the ballroom scene from the haunted mansion where you mm-hmm. see just all these ghosts just dancing around and it's it's and you lose a little bit of that control for a brief second but it's just so much more immersive just and just imagining all these spirits sort of just coming out of the woodwork to just do this magnificent dance around you i just find that just oh as a storyteller and just wanting to immerse my players into that world that just makes me so happy yeah there's like different levels like that one that you just described i feel like yeah there's like different levels like that one that you just described i feel like as you're role playing the character that's going through that of course there is going to be a level of fear because what is going on but as a player role playing that character i feel like i'd be like "Ooh, this is this is really fun this is really cool and then you come to uh, the one that freaked me out was the faceless malice where your your PC just loses all facial features. And I feel like both my character and myself in that moment would be like, this is really freaky. This is really scary. But but then even the, the morbid memory one where you kind of can see this scene played out by ghosts or illusions that might that could really be used for a DM out there to to give some clues into what has happened in this place and kind of direct the players to say like, Hey, maybe this is something you want to look more into um, is it, it is, it is funny because it's called a trap, 
but it can kind of it's it's more than that. It gives the it gets storytelling. It gives role playing opportunities. The the crux of when you're designing traps, at least for me, when I'm designing traps, is that it's never just uh, this is something that the players will encounter and it'll it'll mess them up if they're not careful. Like that's that's always an element of trap the the, the idea of consequence. But I always like to when I'm designing traps to make sure there's a reason why they exist in the world. Or there's a reason the traps tell something about the person who set it. And I mean, that's how it is for for real, for not real life, but, you know, for non-magical or non-fantasy situations. Like if you think of like, you know, Ocean's Eleven where they're going through and they have like, or like other like Mission Impossible where you, oh, the laser grids and or the James Bond like buzzsaw going along. It's like, it tells a little bit something about the genre and the world you're in and that and the people you're engaging with. It like it, it tells you something about the person you're engaging with that they decide yes I will strap you to this table and put a buzzsaw there. It, it, it even if you you don't intend it to inform a little bit about that person, it tells you a little bit about the genre and what genre that that villain or that antagonist is operating in. And I find it so fascinating that these traps kind of come built in with that narrative hook. Absolutely, Mitch. One of the things you said that stuck out to me, and I don't know if I'm just going. I don't know if there are rules for hunted traps. Um, except what our imaginations hold. But the idea of a burnt spot on a map, but it being burnt on every map that's ever made. And like how how deep does it go to like illustrate like that area is haunted? Because I feel like that's one of the really important pieces of it is that you as the DM need to allow for there to be a clue that they don't just wander into this threshold or pass this threshold and remain there with no idea that this is about to happen to their character. That was one of the things that I really took away from it. I I mean, most players are just going to just keep waltzing right in, but the idea of giving some sort of indication that a haunted trap is, you've crossed that threshold. There, there actually is, there are rules for that. Uh, it's, it's very briefly and it's, it's flavored very like narratively, mm-hmm. but uh, in the section, it talks about emanations where a, a trap, uh, unlike mechanical traps will trigger pretty much interestingly as soon as you like hit that tripwire, uh, haunted traps have an emanation. They have this sort of uh, divine or magical, uh, not magical is not the right word, but haunted they have a haunted thing that happens that signals hey something is about to happen and you have like a whole round of combat before something else happens so in the book it says a character who notices the haunted trap has until the start of their next turn to react uh and if they don't then it comes into effect so like for the mirror one we were talking about you as you're passing by the mirror you'll see like a flicker of your distorted reflection and that's the key of something's wrong here we should go. Goodbye. I don't want to touch that mirror. And you have that time to just be like, nope, nope. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Goodbye. And you have that just cute to walk away. And I find that super cool because it's, it's a different, it allows people to detect traps who, you know, maybe aren't good at investigation or don't have detect magic up or because those are the two keys for the mechanical and magical traps. You have to either know how to detect magic or you have to be have that intel uh, that investigation skill, and if you if you have neither, you're fresh out of luck. But this way, it's like, oh, there's a visual cue of something is weird here, or maybe not even a visual cue. There's a sensory cue that something is weird here. Yeah, I can picture like what I would describe I, I, in my mind is like you're as you're getting closer. We'll use the mirror to the mirror. Your body temperature is lowering, and you're feeling colder, and you feel a shiver down your spine. And yeah, giving that 
giving that player the the chance to be like, nope, nope. turn around. I, yeah. Although if I know my players, the if they turned around, they'd come back because they they can't leave it untouched. <laughs> that's that's the fun thing is that like you can give them that hint of, yeah, something's weird here. But at least half of the players are going to be like, ah, see, it's like the red button that you tell me not to press. Now that you've told me there's yeah. something weird about it, I want nothing more than to touch it and see what happens and engage with that consequence. And I just... The DM did warn us. It's one of the things where it's like, you know, so like it, it's one of those things that I love playing with like dramatic irony of when I as the player, I know something bad's about to happen to my character. But consider I want to see what happens because I don't mind being like, ah, no, my character is going through some terrible things right now. But it's funny and amusing and I am having fun as a person. So, yes, their face can be stolen. Touch the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one player will say no one at least one player will one player will be sensible and yes. be like mm. one player will be the smart person in the horror movie and walk away everyone else will be like ah mm -hmm. but consider mirror <laughs> i want to know what i know i want to know what that reflection do <laughs> so one thing that i'm interested in uh talking about a little bit is uh, the origins of a haunted trap like how do they come about because again like we were they are called haunted traps, but this is not a rogue setting up a trap for some adventurers to stumble into. So how does a haunted trap come about into being? I always like to see them as like, like I talked about earlier, they're, they're echoes of something that happened here. Mm. Um, I think when we talk about haunting, we often think about very strictly about like ghosts or spirits or undead. But I think a place can be haunted by an event. And not even like an undead event, just haunted by something that happened here that was so maybe cathartic, maybe devastating. It When enough people in an area feel something so viscerally, whether it's fear or anger or, or rage or bloodlust or maybe even joy, it leaves an imprint on the area. You can't put that much emotion and energy into the world and not have it resonate so fiercely with the area around it. And as someone who loves telling cathartic stories and loves getting into like sort of that emotional side of narrative, I find that so fascinating to imagine to be haunt to haunt a place not through an undead means, but purely because you felt something and you uh, you let that emotion go wild. And you let yourself feel and that left an imprint on the world. I love that idea of almost <clears throat> if you as a DM are creating your own haunted traps, the place to start with is an understanding of what has occurred in the past in this area. Um, if a uh, mass murder by poison happened uh, and your it happened a hundred years ago. Your characters walk into the place, and what happens when they pick up a goblet from the ground? Do they all of a sudden start hearing thumping all through the mansion that they're in? But that thumping is the echoes of people who have drank the poison hitting the floor. Like, yeah, like what is that connection? And for you as a DM, we've said this a couple times, but it it kind of is this giving away of clues to the past. Or like the like the one that's in the book, the the one that looks at memory, uh, where you step into a place and all of a sudden there's this diorama that just sort of springs to life and you're suddenly immersed in this beautiful spectral scene of something that happened. And I just 
being able to see bits of that history come alive that aren't just, hi, I read this in a book. Give me some lore, please. Mm -hmm. And being able to engage with history in like a tangible way and make that make the history of your world come to life in that interactable way is just so juicy to me. And it's something I would love to experience as a player. And it's something I would love to bestow upon my players as a DM. I think about the feelings that people often have when they go to a scene. This is a worldwide phenomenon. I obviously only think of American analogies, but I know it's true across the world of where um, a battle has happened. Um, And just stepping foot on that ground, especially once you have some level of knowledge of it as well. So let's say I know of a battle, I know where it took place, and then I go put myself there. Like there's something that you feel once you enter that place. And it, I mean, it, I, I think of those same things of answering those questions of what happened uh, because it could be, you know, with the poison and it being that, that alone being kind of horrific with that happening, but it could just, just, if you will, just be a battle that you step into and feeling that. And I also like the idea of potentially one player having the experience of the haunted trap is an, I don't think we've talked about it much with, um, but one player having the experience of the haunted trap and having that classic, hey, let's go to the other room real quick and we'll go ahead and um, have this conversation and then having that player come back and relay whatever happened. Yeah. And are you talking, Neil, are you talking about it in the sense of like going back to the one that I find the most horrible, like the character losing their face? Do you then envision that the other player characters don't see the character lose their face, but it's like, I mean, it could go both ways, right? It it could be that the other characters are seeing that, and it could be that the curses that you as a character, you've lost your face and your mouth is still there, but you cannot speak because you believe that you've lost your entire face. Which I think that adds to the horror element when it's known, but still part of it is unknown, especially because if you, I mean, not intentionally, please don't do that. Do it. Maybe you do it intentionally. I don't know. I don't know your DM life, but uh, when it feels like a character is singled out in that experience and then it makes it, it's somewhat known, but it's still unknown. So then other people are at the table are still wondering what's, whoa, no, what's next? Yeah, I love doing that both as a player and as a DM. Um, and I mean, as long as the DM and our player that I'm interfacing with is is cool with it. I love having those personal moments of this is what's going on in your head. And even if the players are, I mean, maybe it's a it's a one-on-one scene with me and just that person, or maybe the other players are there, but the in character, they don't know. So out of character, they know what's happening, but their characters don't know, and they get to grapple with that dramatic irony. But that personal touch feels real, like, malicious to say when it's like, mm, the personal touch of a haunted trap. But um, tailoring these experiences to the players who really like to engage in that sort of way. I mean, there's a section above the haunted traps that talks about like seeds of fear and talking about uh, as a player, you can choose these different seeds of fear uh, for your, for your character. And when you role play them um, or you encounter them in the world, uh, you can either like get inspiration for role play, or you can make saves to avoid getting the frightened condition mechanically. And it feels like this kind of lends really well to that personalized horrific experience i'm just thinking of so many haunted traps that i want to mess around with now yeah i was thinking the same thing 
Well, I mean, even just like individual items, I think was another thing that I really enjoyed about the idea of a haunted trap because you're you're entering the space where that happened. Um, so, like Mitch, you mentioned the goblet, or is it the? I mean, the mirror is the one that we keep mentioning. Is it um, someone sits in a specific chair, and maybe that's that's in in there's so many pieces that you can start to uh, adjust. So the idea of the chair, um, so the player begins to feel tired, just that's all encompassing just tired like i just need to sit down but that that's your clue and then they do sit down and then what happens after they sit down that's where you enter the haunted trap um so good yeah oh my gosh like your chair thing just and this discussion has led me down this path now that i'm just thinking about how horrifying it would be as players for a DM to set up, set up a haunted trap that it's triggered by someone sitting down in something like a chair. And then you upstairs in the house, you hear footsteps moving around, but it only happens when somebody is sitting in the chair and thus the party has to make the decision of, wait, do we literally have to split the party? Like does mm. somebody need to sit, stay down here and sit in this chair in this creepy house by themselves when we, while we go upstairs to check this, like walking, who's walking up there? Like that is terrifying. It's the opposite <laughs> of what you do in a horror movie, but. Yeah. And also it's like, who, who do we put in the chair? Who's who's going to put the butt in the chair? Do we, do we yeah. oscillate? Do we rotate whose butt is in the chair? <laughs> and, and that comedy, <laughs> like, uh, cause, and that's like, I don't know why, but haunted chairs are a thing in so many things that I love. Like I love playing the video game, Don't Starve. And one of the conceits is that the world is controlled by someone who sits on the shadow throne. And uh, I remember reading uh, like a fan comic or a fan fanfic or something where uh, like all the characters would take turns sitting on the throne because the throne, because it's made of shadows and it's it's the seat of power and the seat of the entity that controls this this terrible island you're on um, or this terrible world you're a part of. It will it will warp your morality eventually, and it'll start you just start become like darker and more hungry for power and less concerned about your friends for whom you're sitting on this throne for. And hmm. I find that so interesting of just being like, okay, we got to take turns sitting on this throne. That's all gonna suck for everyone. But if if yeah. we all take turns, then no one person suffers. And I think that idea of giving that challenge where one person can make a sacrifice or you can all kind of sacrifice a little and encouraging that inner party dynamic is just so much fun. We, lo we love a haunted chair. Oh yeah. Well, it makes me think of, I mean, for <laughs> like several different options, but also just to hit on super quick, the survivor section of the horror toolkit where basically you're kind of just the, just the random people in a horror movie, not these ridiculous adventurers that have all this power, but the idea of like someone needing to sit in the throne, because I think of, World of Warcraft, where Bolvar sits upon the frozen throne because someone must be the Lich King. Or you think about DC Comics, where Batman sits in the Mobius chair because if we don't, if someone doesn't jump in there, it's just going to go. And then who has that power? The idea of all these, man, apparently chairs are a big deal. I, I didn't think of it until now. Man, who, who knew sitting was such a dangerous <laughs> hobby? Yes. I mean, just to ex just to go forward with that, I just want to say my idea would be that the rest of the party goes up to check out that walking upstairs. They find a ghost. The ghost looks at them, smiles, sinks through the floor, and then tries to possess the person oh, downstairs in the horrible. chair. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
I I was thinking, uh, and this goes back to something we designed in Sina Una, because in Sina Una, the we play on the idea of the pre-colonial Filipino ideas of animism, where everything has a spirit. Um, and we have one monster in particular who is a giant and he has a lair. But the thing about his lair is that it's weirdly silent. In the world of Sina Una, everything has a spirit. Uh, and in that lair, though, everything is is quiet. There is no spirits to be found. And because of that, magic goes wild because magic comes from the spirits. And I love the idea of something being haunted, not because it has a spirit in it, but because it is devoid, being haunted by emptiness and something being wrong about, like something being viscerally wrong about this place in the world where everything is alive and everything is thriving. There is just this one object, one tree, one location that is just empty. And I love, I think the idea of emptiness is so much fun to play with. Well, that's, and that's the emanation right there. Like you, you start to walk into that space and try finding all the right words, but like describing, like you just feel disconnected. You feel empty. You feel like you feel like you are a void. And then, then I'm sure they just keep walking forward, but (laughs) Oh, oh, of course. Oh, of course. I just remember some of the, the regional effects or, or some of like the legendary actions. Oh, they went real mean when I designed that creature because <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, there's no oh, the spirits are quiet. Oh, no magic. Oh, oh, take a bite <laughs> of your spell slots. So we're talking about haunted traps and it is right there in the word traps. So the Van Richten's uh, Guide to Ravenloft talks about these traps and talks about the idea of disarming them as well. Uh, but as we said, these are not your typical physical traps. So um, it talks about using the remove curse um, spell to disarm them. But I was just wondering, uh, like, for the two of you as DMs, if you're set having a haunted trap in your game and you are either having it be disarmed by a, a remove curse are you are you going more into detail with what that looks like or are you giving other options of how this haunted trap can be disarmed like is there a path your players go down to disarm this trap oh i i always like giving alternate options i i like rewarding creativity feel but that i like rewarding when people think outside of the box uh, and i like rewarding when people engage with the history of the world and i think it's so fascinating to if this, if a haunted trap is the result of an echo of an incredibly emotional or devastating event, being able to engage with that event in a way that not necessarily heals, but absolves some of the emotion that resonates from that event feels appropriate. And it feels like it ties into the world. I, I like the idea of having that mechanical, you just present your holy symbol and you use one of those channel divinities and poof, it's gone. But I still, because these haunted traps are so rooted in the history of the world, I I love the idea of just being like, yeah, you could do that. Or you can risk learning a little bit more about the world and engaging a little bit more with your environment and trying something different. It almost feels wrong. This is just where my head's at, but it almost feels wrong to like permanently remove it from the world. It's, it, it's almost like you're, you're, you're taking, I mean, because if, if, if the trap fails by 10, it's permanently disabled. And like, oh, but why? Uh, because like you said, you're connecting to that piece of the past. And so then part of me wonders, like, like you said, it, it's almost layering in this moral aspect for the players of like, should, is it right to do that, to remove it? Is it, 
and then having having them have that discussion of whether or not they should even try and remove it permanently uh, or, or set up better signs of, hey, please don't go in here. But this is what would happen if you did. Uh, there's just a disclaimer. It's kind of like like going to like an exhibit at a zoo. I just remembering like the like going because we'd mentioned Honda Mansion earlier. And now I'm just thinking of like the in the queue for the Indiana Jones ride where it's just got signs of, hey, please don't touch this. But like clearly everyone has touched it. And it's like that is exactly what happened if people put up signs and be like, hey, don't don't touch the mirror. Everyone would be like, ah, but consider <laughs> I want to touch the mirror yes. now. Oh, even more so. But I do like the idea of them engaging it with it, I guess, in a more controlled way is how I would probably look at disarming the trap that you would still learn those things from the emanation and from what exists there but you've you've removed the the, the if you will the negative aspects like I'm not gonna lose my face but now I know I'd lose my face it's one of the things where maybe maybe you don't lose your face maybe you don't have to deal with the losing the ability to verbally communicate or or any of that maybe it's like you you don't have the 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 negative consequences or the hor- horrific consequences but you have the you know what's in the mirror or when you when you dispel it you don't engage with the negative consequences but you still learn like why that why it exists you still get to engage with that knowledge of this is why the mirror has that distortion effect this is what's causing it uh you you know that now and that that part of the world that that integral part of how the world is built still exists uh you just you know, don't have to deal with the consequence of my face is gone, which, you know, is is nice. I think I think it's nice to not have your face stolen just a little. I mean, there might be this ultimate if we're if we're talking about like a haunted mansion of sorts where every single trap is surrounding this one event Mm -hmm. in the past, there might be this ultimate disarm to the haunting of that entire place. And that is um, bringing some sort of uh, peace, maybe, to the spirits that are there. The the morbid memory trap really just, just in my mind, oh man, speaking of haunted. <laughs> That's a huge bug. Oh my God. It knows. Summertime. The fact that it could be so easily seen through Zoom proves how yep. ridiculous that bug was. <laughs> it was it was like it was a chunky boy. Nope. It was that big. God. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, the morbid memory uh trap just has me thinking like what terrible thing took place there. And it it talks about it could be spirits playing out this past or it can be like an illusion. But to me I question like if it's spirits are these spirits stuck in this perpetual loop that every single time that mortals walk into this area or this room, they have to replay out and re-experience the awful thing that happens. And so for your characters, maybe that's their cue that you can bring an end to this if you can figure out how it is that you bring peace to these spirits. Maybe instead of running from that terrifying ghost child if your characters figure out all you need to do is show that ghost child some compassion to speak to it to tell it some sort of thing that it needs to hear all the traps all the haunted traps are disarmed because of that ultimate disarming like the idea that you can you can suppress the effects of some traps but it's not until you do you engage with that 
that key that that one sole aspect of how you show a spirit compassion or absolve them of something that happened here and it's that that not deactivates because that's such a mechanical term but releases the rest of this location from this perpetual haunting of emotion so i think one of the last things that i would like to end end on is specifically because Mackenzie, at one point you said man my mind's just going crazy with all of these haunted traps that i could put into a game now with some players uh, do we have any haunted trap ideas that we would we could think a DM out there could use uh, in a good haunted mansion or scary, spooky uh, campaign? My brain has literally just gone to the haunted <laughs> mansion in Disneyland. Yes. <laughs> just because. I mean, yeah. wh- <laughs> why not? Because I think it's like it's one of those things where the haunted mansion would be such a great setup for like that idea of you can suppress some of these traps, but you have to engage with like the one key aspect of this, this mansion in order to fully release it from its, its happy haunting. Um, or that the idea that a lot of these ghosts are, are happy here and they enjoy haunting this place, but there is one or two malevolent spirits that uh, have that sordid history. Uh, and that's what's causing some of the more malicious things that are happening in this house. Uh, the story of the Haunted Mansion is is weird and wild, and it's changed so much over the history. And I've just been recently watching a bunch of videos about like the histories of the different Haunted Mansions and Phantom Manors across like all the Disney parks. And that is wild. There is so much lore to unpack there. And I I forget every time, but then I go back and I go, wow, there's there's been like three different brides and they've all died and they've all died in different ways. And that's, mm, there's so much there, <laughs> but like the idea of, you know, having a haunted trap, that's like the stretching room, the, the iconic haunted mansion set piece where you go into this room and you, you feel like the floor shutter and that's your emanation. And then all of a sudden the rooms, you start descending and you can see the, the painting start to stretch. And that, that to me feels like that classic trap and you can, you know, disengage it and get back out at the top level, or you can ride it all the way down, see where it goes. And then that leads to this whole other storyline where you're exploring the history of the owners of this mansion, going to seeing that, like the dance macabre and going into the ballroom and not only just dancing with the spirits, but also maybe getting to talk with them and figure out why they're, why they're here, why they're trapped in perpetual, uh, this perpetual gala. And then, you know, maybe there's a dead bride and I don't know, she's killed a bunch of her husbands for, chains of pearls and you have to deal with that <laughs> well i also think of like the, the very end because i would think like mechanically the haunt bonus is zero because it's just the the people just in your car with you and then also the idea of possibly engaging with it multiple times um to try because that's always what i remember as a kid i'm like yeah. oh no i didn't get the guy i wanted i want to go again so i can um see if i can see if i can get the right person in my car okay though we, we've, we've started down a road, and this is always my favorite section of homework because it's the best homework you're going to get. One, go to Disneyland and just apparently go through the Haunted Mansion. Homework one. <laughs> Do it safely, yes. though. Get vaccinated. <laughs> freaking bug. It's huge. Sorry. <laughs> While we are recording right now, Mackenzie is being haunted, being haunted by, by this a massive bug that's fly. flying around. It's pretty great. Uh, but, like, yeah. Do it safely, be vaccinated, all that good stuff. If it says don't touch the mirror, don't touch the mirror. Yes. So let's let's each go around and toss out one additional piece of homework. I know what mine is, but I'll hold out. That way, um, hopefully, 
I won't take it from anyone. So what's, what's one piece of homework, McKinsey, that you would say our listeners should go do to for haunted traps? Okay. Um, I, I would say for homework, look at one of your favorite entertainment properties, whether it is like the Haunted Mansion or it is maybe like a video game, like I mentioned, Don't Starve or a bunch of other of these these properties and look at them. And even if it's not necessarily what you'd consider horror, it's maybe not slasher horror or not the genre for you think, look at it and see if you can identify that element of a haunted trap within it, even if the even if the genre may not be entirely horror. And see if you can, like I did with the stretching room, see if you can figure out a way to translate that from what you experience as a player or as a visitor or um, a guest and see if you can translate that to mechanics. I find, at least for my practice as a designer, identifying the things I love in the media that I enjoy and figuring out how to mechanically translate that experience not only helps me get to the heart of building a good experience because I know it's based on something I enjoy, but it also helps me develop my skills as a designer as a whole because I learn how to translate experiences I have to mechanics and to dice rolls and to that sort of thing, which allows me to better share what I'd like to convey with my players uh, and the things I write. Yeah, I think that I'm going to kind of piggyback off of that and say horror movies are fantastic to give ideas for this. Um, immediately I thought of, uh, you know, you send your, your characters through this mansion and there's writing in red on the wall. Um, and of course my mind was going towards like the shining and it's like, they say the words out loud. They say red room. And all of a sudden the elevator doors open and blood rushes out. Like what don't do that. <laughs> Cause everybody will know what you're taking that from, but what's the, what's the word that triggers a trap that if your players say it out loud, so watch horror movies, get ideas from that. Uh, I'll throw one out that I watched recently that I found very creepy, Vivarium. Very weird. One of the weirdest movies I've seen, but weird and creepy and probably some good inspiration for a D&D horror campaign and some haunted traps. Definitely not family friendly, but my advice is the Netflix show, The Haunting on Hill House. Um, because it's oh, also yes. really, it, the- yeah, it's also a really good way because I, I've, I've been thinking, um, oftentimes when something is written and you get pre-generated characters, those backgrounds are very tailored to like bring that character into the, let's say it's the salt marsh. And so you're tying directly back to the town and certain people in the town. That's another way you can amplify the horror in your game is having direct attachments to what's happening. So then like, that's where my my brain goes because they all have this very direct connection to the story that's unfolding. And then definitely it, it, there are a lot of haunting um, in the haunting on Hill house. So yeah, those, the, the, you can use the seeds of fear to do that as well. Cause that's perfectly tailored to being like, Hey players, you want to get a personal connection to what's going on here. You want to be personally, you want that personal fear, those personal things you want to engage with and conquer with. Here you go. Slides it across the table. Mm-hmm. So, and what I would say is now our most important question is, Mackenzie, where can people go to find all the amazing things you're doing? I cannot talk about what I am doing currently okay. because of NDAs. However, if you want to see me talk about uh, things on Twitter, either the games I'm in for personal reasons, uh, some streams that I'm on, uh, general life as a young adult who just moved to Washington, you can find me over on Twitter at Mackenzie Lane DA. That's M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-E-A. I have to spell it because my parents misspelled my name on my birth certificate and forgot the C, and now everyone gets it wrong. Yeah, I appear on I sometimes do charity events where I DM or I'm a player. 
Um, and I'll talk about D&D stuff. I'll promote some of the cool stuff that D&D is working on when it's finally announced and I can finally share it with the world. Uh, and yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast. Yes. No, thank you for coming. Yes. We're glad you had fun. We'd love to have you back on in the future to talk about the things that you can't talk about now or just monsters in general. Give it, give it a couple months. Give it a couple months. I'll be back, okay. baby. Yes. <laughs> Good to hear. We just want to thank McKinsey again for coming on and sharing some time with us and some amazing ideas about how to add haunted traps to our games, our worlds, and anywhere else we need them. If you liked what you heard or you want to tell us about the haunted trap you have in your world, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, your podcatcher of choice, and leave us a review. And of course, just go tell someone about us. That's the most helpful thing you could do. To follow us on the socials, if you will, you can always head over to Twitter where you can find us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like, like us on Facebook. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can find out other shows like The GM Showcase, We're So Bad at Adventuring, Detentions and Dragons, and more. And we just want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night. Good luck and keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.